Tonight's reading is from Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you, Anne, very much indeed. So Easter creeps up on us, and it is such a remarkable time of year. I always greatly value the opportunity of speaking about one or other aspect of the Easter story, and there's always so much more to say than uh, the season really allows for any one particular year. And uh, just the two or three occasions when I will be speaking around this Easter. And for tonight, for one of them, I'd like to bring you to the Garden of Gethsemane and to this reading that we've just had with the title, Going Further with Jesus. Gethsemane is a very special place in the Easter story. William Barclay, describes it as the point of no return for Jesus, that just as in a long-haul flight, a pilot will be traveling and in the early stages of the flight may well think that if there was a complication, they would turn around and go back. There comes the point at which you cannot turn around and go back. There's not enough fuel. It has to be that you go on and complete. The point of no return. And with Jesus, this was the point of no return. The word Gethsemane means oil press. It's at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and there were many olive trees there, a well-known garden. And as with so many of the places mentioned in the Bible, early generations of Christians were always very keen to mark the spot by building a church. Seems a bit of a shame in a way, doesn't it? But that's how it is. Uh, and therefore, on the site of Gethsemane, the earliest church building was constructed, as far as we know, between AD 379 and 384. It appears to have been destroyed in the 8th century. And then the Crusaders built another church on the same site in the 12th century. And then the present Church of All Nations was built in 1924, again on the same site. And the constant feature of all three churches is a huge rock right in the center commemorating the place where Jesus knelt to pray. And outside the church, throughout all the uh, centuries of history since the time of Jesus, 
there have always been olive trees in that region. And some of them now are very ancient indeed, but probably not quite as old as the time of Jesus. And whether kneeling by the rock inside the building or sitting outside amongst the ancient olive trees in the garden, this is a profound place to visit in any tour of Jerusalem today. I've probably mentioned before that on our last Israel tour that some of you came on, our guide arranged for me to lead a short morning prayers in the chapel for our own group and anyone else who might have been listening. I just picked out one or two pictures very quickly to give you, as it were, the visual impression of what Gethsemane looks like now. Obviously very different in the time of Jesus, but uh, the view from Jerusalem looking towards the Mount of Olives here, uh, Gethsemane in the foreground, uh, the main church, the Church of All Nations there in the center of the picture, and then moving up the hill, uh, another church, and then at the top of the hill, it is the top of the Mount of Olives, and just beyond that is Bethany. So that's standing, as it were, uh, with our back to the city of Jerusalem, uh, looking across the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane and up the Mount of Olives. A closer image of the frontage of the church, as you can see, very ornate and very striking. And that was the building constructed in 1924. If you stand at the doorway of that building and look the opposite direction back to the city, that's what it looks like at the moment. Uh, the city walls, of course, different to the walls that were there in the time of Jesus, but that bit of the wall in the same position as it would have been at that time. Inside the church, uh, just uh, on the left and the right, here two images facing two different directions, obviously a very beautiful and, and remarkable building. And one of the windows on the left-hand side picture is shown in the middle image, enlarged. Uh, these were Stephen Margaret's pictures from uh, when we were there some years ago. And then out in the garden, I think these were Frances' pictures. She tends to take the outside views rather than the inside views. Uh, one of the ancient olive trees there, right in the center of that picture. And uh, just, again, an illustration of a number of the trees. They're laid out a little bit formally now. Uh, so you walk along particular pathways. Whereas obviously in the time of Jesus, everything would have been much more natural and uh, informal. But the garden is in the same place. So there it is, that's Gethsemane. And we focus tonight especially on the words that Jesus uh, spoke in the garden, and particularly that little phrase in Mark's account of this story, Mark 14, verse 35, where Mark tells us, Jesus, going a little further, fell to the ground and prayed. Going a little further. That's the little phrase that I really want to pick out this evening and ask what this meant to Jesus and then what it means to us. What did it, what did it really mean to Jesus that he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane that having brought his disciples with him, he then went a little further and knelt down and prayed himself. In what sense did Jesus go further in this scene? There was the literal movement away from the disciples to pray alone with his father. 
And in that little movement, I think there was a movement to greater loneliness, to an intensity of prayer and commitment. As he knelt there in the Garden of Gethsemane, in one direction was Jerusalem, the place of hostility and of impending trial and death. In the other direction was the top of the Mount of Olives, over the hill to the Judean desert, which could well seem to Jesus a way of escape from all this pressure. He had to decide which way to go. Back into the city, out, away from it all. This was the point of no return. And he used the intimate form of address, Abba, my Father. Not the Our Father of the Lord's Prayer, but something more focused, something more personal. This was prayer which needed time, which needed concentration, which actually needed support, though tragically that was lacking from the disciples. And a spiritual battle was going on as Jesus prayed. This was so much more than facing a difficult way ahead. This was so much more than the physical challenge that Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. He told the disciples many times that this was going to happen. So he kind of knew the journey ahead. But it wasn't just that he was facing that difficult way ahead. And it wasn't just that this was a physical challenge of the pain and suffering that he would endure, nor was it just the mental challenge of what that might have meant. There was a spiritual battle going on as he prayed. It was a struggle between light and darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, was in danger of being totally extinguished by the darkness of the night. It was a struggle between life and death. Jesus, the creator of life, the word who was there from the beginning, now faced the most horrific and barbaric death. It was a struggle between God and Satan, in which we know, by looking back, that God won the victory. But as Jesus struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane, in a real struggle, he was crying out to God, was this truly the will of God? Did he really have to go this way? He was not only facing the most horrendous death imaginable, he was also facing the task of bearing in his own body the sins of the world. And some of that language was captured in our songs earlier on this evening, wasn't it? The whole reason why Jesus came and lived and died was that he carried in his own body. My sin upon his shoulders was one of the phrases, wasn't it? In one of the songs. He was carrying all those wrong things that you've done, that I've done, that anyone else has done carrying that upon his shoulders. The cup of suffering is often linked to the Old Testament use of the word cup as an indication of God's wrath, God's displeasure, not against people, but against the wrong of mankind, the sin of the world. And here was a deep, lonely, challenging journey for Jesus 
a journey towards acceptance of the Father's will, where ultimately he was able to say, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. There are a number of different ways in which you might say, your will be done. It might be that someone has been beaten to their knees by a superior force and has given up the fight and almost says, I give up, you've won. Have it your way. There might be someone who sees that further resistance is useless and hopelessly gives in. There is no point in going on. Have it your way. There may be someone who's ceased to struggle but whose heart is rising up in bitterness, in rebellion against the situation. I deeply resent what's happening, but I haven't got any more energy to fight, so you have it your way. But Jesus wasn't saying, your will be done in any of those manners. He was saying it in utter love and trust. By one who does not need to understand in order to submit. Who knows that the father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. But in this moment, a painful journey was indeed necessary. And that's how Jesus said these words. It was tough. It was a long, hard struggle. But the end result was genuinely to accept the Father's will without any trace of resentment. And I think at this point, Jesus in Gethsemane is such a great example of submission to the will of God, even when that will is a mystery, in the certainty that that will is love and it's good. And from his agony of dread, Jesus emerged out of this story with serene and resolute confidence. It's quite interesting to draw the connection between Mark's account that we've read and the little incident in John's gospel, in John chapter 18, where you may remember that just before the arrest of Jesus, Peter drew his sword almost as an attempt to avert Jesus' rest and cut off the high priest's ear. And Jesus put it back immediately. And he said, Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In Mark, he was saying to God, let this cup of suffering pass away from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Once he'd come to the point of accepting the will of Jesus, uh, the will of God. Then he resolutely said to Peter, neither you nor anyone else will stop me drinking to the full the cup the Father has given me. And so in Gethsemane, Jesus went further in the pathway of faith, of obedience, of prayer, and of sacrifice. It may have been a short physical journey, from where the disciples were to where Jesus knelt to pray. He went a little further. It may have been a short physical journey, but it was a long journey of the soul. 
It was a very long journey to really accept the will of God in that moment. Donald Coggan, former Archbishop of Canterbury, writing about this, said, the prayer in Gethsemane did not preserve his body from crucifixion, but it helped to preserve his utter obedience to the Father. And that was what mattered. So much for Jesus. A lot more we could say, but that's enough just to take us, as it were, into the garden and into the experience of Jesus. What does this mean for us? With all this going on, with Jesus battling in his heart and mind in prayer with God the Father, what were the disciples doing? We know what they were doing. They were sleeping. They could not stay awake. They could not keep watch. And just a short time later, one of their own would return with soldiers and betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies with a kiss. And so it seems to me that there is a painful distance between the earnest soul-searching of Jesus and the weariness of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And actually, if you don't remember anything else from tonight, this is the thing that is especially challenging me this Easter. That painful distance between the earnest soul-searching in the heart of Jesus and the weariness of the disciples, that Jesus went that step further and knelt down and prayed and wrestled and came to that point of obedience and commitment. And just a few meters away, the disciples were sleeping. There's a sense in which the journey which Jesus took was unique. Only he could bear the sins of the whole world in his own body when he died on the cross. Only he could go to the darkness of death. Only he could be buried in a borrowed tomb and rise again three days later. There's much in this story that is utterly unique to Jesus. But I feel that God is saying something else from this story which is very significant to me this Easter. And I wonder whether it might be significant to you. And I'm preaching this tonight because I've sensed it as something that I need to hear and respond to. We are called to follow Jesus to the place of deep prayer and surrender to God. No matter what is going on around us. Jesus is asking us to watch with him. To see the world as he sees it to love the people around us as he loves them, to journey through the difficult times of life as he would, to reach out in faith to God the Father as he did in a critical moment. But so often, we are sleeping. We're in a different place. God is calling me, I believe, into a greater spiritual alertness at this time. Just to be sensitive to what is going on in the world around us and to be listening to the voice of God and to the challenge of Christian mission today. I was grateful for the comment that was made earlier this week in one of our conversations that sometimes our church life 
feels a little bit too much like running an organization and not enough like really following Jesus. And I know that quite a lot of my life is caught up in the oversight of what is a fairly complex program, organization, whatever you might call it. But ultimately, we are a movement of the people of God coming close to Jesus and journeying with him. As Christian disciples, we are followers of Jesus. The church is a movement of people who believe that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And believe that following Jesus is the most important step we can take that transforms the whole of life. At the key moments of decision, of challenge, of pain, and of opportunity, at the key moments that God gives to us, are we right on the ball or are we sleeping? Are we right there with Jesus in the prayer, in the challenge, in the opportunity, or are we just a few meters away sleeping? We're not called to follow Jesus in his unique journey to the cross and the empty tomb. But we are called to take up our cross and to follow him. And in baptism, we're called to die with him so that we rise with him to a new way of life. And so I believe that God is calling me to a greater commitment to prayer. That just as Jesus wrestled with the Father in prayer, God has given us that gift of prayer, that means of communication. We need to spend time in prayer. And for Jesus, this prayer had to be a concentrated time, didn't it? He couldn't just pray the Gethsemane prayer in five minutes. He had to watch and pray. And indeed, Luke tells us that as he prayed, sweat like drops of blood fell from his head. There was an intensity of prayer. I believe that God is calling me to a new depth of faith. Journeying with Jesus into unknown territory. It links a bit with what uh, Becky was saying this morning about the challenge and the blessing of those who are persecuted for righteousness and sometimes we are going to be in places and we are going to be in conversations where people will perhaps say unkind things because we are Christians or treat us differently because we are Christians. Don't be afraid of it. And remember that there are brothers and sisters across the world for whom following Jesus is, is immensely costly. I believe that Jesus is calling me to a level of sacrifice that truly says, your will be done. And as I see Jesus in Gethsemane, stepping forward, going a little further to pray, I don't want to be staying behind, nor falling asleep, nor indeed betraying him to his enemies. 
but rather to stay close and seek to live out the life and the calling that he has given me now. And so I've kind of found myself being drawn into the Garden of Gethsemane as I've thought about this for tonight. And I trust that something of what I've said will perhaps help you to come to that place as well. And not to stay with the disciples half asleep, but to be right there with Jesus, responding to his call. We're going to watch a Skit Guys video, just a reflection of two of the characters in the Easter story around the Garden of Gethsemane scene. You'll understand it as it progresses. It's sad in a way, but it just brings home to us the pain of the disciples sleeping, of Judas betraying, when actually what Jesus is calling us to do is to stay right with him and to live for him today. Thank <laughs> you.